uh, Genesis 25 is where we're going to pick up today. Happy February. We are a little bit closer to spring here. So I always tell my wife, as soon as we get through February, March is a coin flip pretty much every day. You know, so uh, we get through February, the, the deep freeze of February, uh, we're usually doing okay. So um, Genesis 25. And now um, I, what we uh, have discussed and, and what we're moving into, well, I guess what we'll move into now um, in the interest of uh, moving forward. I'm just, uh, you know, if you need to figure out what we discussed last week, just turn your Bible and uh, or talk to me afterward. But um, where we're at is... Um, we see in verse 1, uh, uh, I don't know if I prayed uh, for this. Yes, I did. Um, so uh, in verse 1, it says, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Maiden, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were uh, Asherim, uh, Ledushim, and Lumim. And uh, the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, uh, Hanuk, Abada, and Ada. All these were the children of Kedorah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living... He sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. So these uh, first six verses, a lot of new people being introduced. We're not going to talk much about any of them uh, in, in great uh, detail, but we'll cover a few of them. So Abraham, in his old age, takes another wife. He has six more sons, so that totals uh, eight sons that he had, with if you include Isaac and Ishmael, on top of that. So he, he had a lot of uh, sons. And uh, as we go through and we look at the names of these, uh, one that might stick out to you more than others would be Midian and uh, the father of the Midianites. And we'll cover uh, Midian here a little bit uh, more in depth later. But as you're looking, Midian might be a familiar name that sticks out to you. Now, in verse 5, it says that he gave all he had to Isaac, and he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines. So uh, we see here in verse 5 that Isaac was separating Isaac from us, uh, uh, that Abraham was separating Isaac from the rest of his sons, uh, not only physically where he sends them away, but also in his blessings. He gave all that he had to them, but he held back some gifts for the, the sons that came from his concubines. So uh, he sends the others eastward. Now, one of those mentioned here was Midian and, and the Midianites, and it's an interesting study between, between Israel and the Midianites, and we'll do that progressively as we go through the scripture. But a few things uh, to discuss here would be uh, from Genesis 37, verses 28 and 36. And uh, what we see unfolding here is uh, Isaac uh, has two sons, and we're going to get into that, Jacob and Esau. And uh, one of uh, Jacob's sons, uh, Joseph, uh, is uh, what we'll see here is in a predicament where he's been sent by his father to check in on his brothers. And uh, when he gets there, they have an evil plan, and they want to kill him. 
And uh, one of his brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Uh, hey, here's a ditch over here. Why don't we, the pit, why don't we throw him in there? So he gets thrown in there and uh, they're eating their lunch, trying to figure out what to do with him. And verse 28 says, then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, verse 36 says, Now the Midianites had sold him, Joseph, into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So when you start thinking of Midianites, so there's a group of Midianites that were uh, of re they were uh, related to uh, uh, to Joshua when he got sold. And uh, so interesting just to keep these uh, things in focus. Now, we'll skip ahead and we're going to spend great detail, uh, great time and look into greater detail as we go through. But as we're looking at this name, I figured it would be uh, interesting for us to kind of look at them and get prepared uh, for a few weeks down the road. So Genesis 39 uh, verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites uh, who had taken him down there. So it's reiterating what we just read in 37 and 39. Verse, uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So now, okay, so we see that uh, the Midianites had taken Joseph. They sold him to uh, Potiphar, and uh, and he was uh, used there mightily once he gets into Egypt. And when he's even uh, in Potiphar's house, how the Lord uses him and uh, and blesses him. But it's the Midianites uh, that, that took him there. And uh, now we see that the Lord is using the Midianites to correct and, and to punish Israel. So it says that uh, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which were in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had whatever they had whenever they had sown Midianites uh, would come up also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and the Lord used them to frustrate Israel because of their sin so when we're looking at Midian that uh, and and we see his name there uh, as we study through we're going to see uh, them pop up at times and we're also going to see uh, just uh, as in they as they did in uh, Joseph's life and also uh, how the Lord used them so just an interesting thing uh, when we see names sometimes just an encouragement to slow down uh, and and start looking and uh, maybe even do a Strong's concordance uh, exhaustive concordance and when you can look that up and go oh let's look at many it's a fun study to, to do that open up a Bible and uh, a Bible um, dictionary and and do a study just do some reading and uh, see how the Lord enhances your faith and and build your faith and there are better we have a better understanding of the word so Gideon drove them out um, uh, so these same Midianites Gideon drove them out and killed their leaders in judges chapter 6 verse 8 so uh, they do play a, a prominent role in the scriptures 
And uh, so when we see things, just understand that sometimes we can get lost in the so-and-so begot so-and-so and this number and that number. And we see those things and uh, read right over things. So just understand when we see the Midianites later, wait a minute, Midian was a son of Abraham and they were sent off uh, to the east. And uh, we see uh, what ends up how the Lord uh, you know, orchestrates things through them and how he uses them. Uh, and how he punishes even them uh, in the book of Judges. So uh, when we move on from uh, just talking about the, the Midianites, uh, we see here in uh, verse five, sorry, verse six, it says, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of his concubines. Now, a concubine, if we're not familiar with what a concubine is, is we don't know which ones they were. Um, we don't know if, if this is indirectly talking of Hagar and, and um Keturah, you know, we don't know for certain, but we do know that he had concubines because it says it here. And uh, they're, what they are is it's, a, it's a, a wife of a lesser status than a primary wife. And uh, there were, they were often taken by uh, tribal chiefs, kings, uh, rich men. They would, uh, they would have these, uh, these uh, concubines and they could be purchased, uh, one in battle, and they become, uh, they, they have a legal protection, but they're still less than a, a, um, a, a legal uh, wife uh, altogether. But ultimately, they are the property of the husband. So uh, both Abraham and his brother Nahor uh, had concubines. And uh, so we, we see they are, a, that, that having a concubine is a thing in the scripture. And uh, we, uh, when we look at, uh, you know, somebody having a concubine and uh, was it forbidden, uh, what we can look at is how did God uh, design marriage? God designed marriage very simply between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, that's a marriage. When those two come together uh, in marriage, they, that's the way God designed it, all the way back to Genesis 2. That's that's how he made uh, he designed marriage, and uh, you know you can look into uh, Mark ten also uh, for a reference uh, for that. But it says the two shall become one. Two shall become one. That is uh, that is a biblical marriage. That there's one husband, one wife. Um, we see in the scripture that the Lord um, had to tell them that uh, in in Deuteronomy seventeen that a kings. Uh, multiplying wives to themselves should not happen. Deuteronomy 17, 17. And many did, though. They still did. Uh, and look at the disaster that came with it. You know, you think of how that affected, negatively affected David's life and uh, Solomon's life. Solomon had all kinds of women around the house. You know, when you combine the wives and concubines, he's got a thousand women uh, that uh, that man um that he had amassed to himself and, and think of as we uh, we see they often suffered uh, the family sh uh, suffered mightily and it's it's documented here that there were family problems there were great spiritual problems that came from them multiplying wives to themselves um, oftentimes those wives would lead their hearts astray and lead them uh, into uh, idolatry and lead then uh, the king themselves would lead the nation into idolatry. Go start reading in, in Kings and you, you start reading and uh, both both accounts and, and how those kings following their, their sinful desires uh, negatively affected not only themselves but also their own families 
and uh, and their kingdoms, their their nations uh, as a whole. So uh, when we consider a concubine, I just wanted to spend a few minutes on that. Now, verse seven. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is in Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, uh, the Hittite. Now, uh, that's back in uh, Genesis 23, if you want to look into that. Uh, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. Then Abraham was buried, and, uh, was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed Isaac, and Isaac dwelt in Be'er Lahai Roy. So the sum of his years, it says, the King's ver King James Version, I like that version better. It says the days of his years, uh, with, uh, of the years. They said this is the sum of the days of the years. We, know we, we live our lives one day at a time. And uh, to, to uh, get ahead of ourselves and go, uh, you know, next year. Remember in James, there was the warning, you know, that, uh, you know, we shouldn't just say make the, all these big plans that when James is saying that we should ask, you know, what is the Lord's will? You know, what, what is, you know, if God is willing, uh, you know, then we'll go and do these things. But for us to uh, sometimes in our pride start making plans uh, where we don't include the Lord, that's where we get into a dangerous spot. But uh, as we're reading here, the days of the years. So as we live every day, uh, I like that. I like the King James Version uh, of that verse better than I do. The, we read the New King James Version here because it's very close to the King James, and uh, it's speaking modern-day English versus Old English. You read the King James, awesome. Love it. You read King ja New King James, great. That's, that's perfect. Whatever. Um, I don't, I don't have a, a hard, there are many that have a hard stance at King James only and let them do what they need to do. Uh, you know, that's one of those things that, Hey, if you want to, you know, that's not a, uh, you can, we can still be brothers there. We can have a, 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 our sisters, you know, we can, we can have a disagreement there and, and move forward uh, what you're most likely going to see is that King James version person pushing more on the person that's maybe open to other uh, versions because there are all kinds of them. The ESV is one um, that really I've heard of a lot of people um, getting excited about and, and getting into and, and they like uh, that version and everything. My encouragement is, is as we're looking at different versions, make sure the big ones, uh, John 1, 1, uh, that those things in there, you know, verse, verses one through three, that those aren't saying uh, adding things in there and the word was a God. And th you know, those are the big ones like, OK, that one's trash. Um, th those types of things. But I do like in here that the King James Version says the days of the years, the days of the years. You know, we can get so wrapped up in, oh, in four years, I'm going to do this and this is slow, slow down. You know, uh, I know that um, it's funny when I was getting ready to retire, I, uh, I toyed around with finding one of those calculators and I forgot all about it like the next day and everything. But it was kind of cool to check in on here and there and um, you know, when we start wishing away the years, you know, we can we can miss out on opportunities and those things. So just an encouragement to us. Uh, let's look at things as they come day by day. That's how we live our lives. 
So that's how we should uh, you know, look at our faith and say, hey, three years from now, I want to be there. Okay, how are you going to get there? Day by day, step by step through each day, right? So I just wanted to share that. So Abraham uh, breathed his last at 175 years old. And uh, he was told to leave Ur of the Chaldeans when he was 75. And uh, he lived his life as a sojourner, uh, traveler for 100 years. Uh, you know, he would he would get up and he'd move around and, um, you know, he breathed his last and he died. I like that it says that he died in a good old age and full uh, of years. Uh, so it's uh, another thing with translation. But it says um, when you when you look where it says in verse eight, when it's talking about the full uh, there where it says full of years, uh, if you uh, look at different versions, you might see. Uh, whole or complete, and uh, it's that's another thing. So if you have a, even an online thing, uh, like I said, I like blue uh, a blue letter Bible. I can click on that and see uh, translations of like fifteen different Bibles. It's really cool, and uh, I can just do a quick reference and check on those. But where it says that uh, you know, full of years, and it was gathered to his people, that good age, good old age. You know, uh, the Christian uh, Standard Bible says uh, old and contented. That he was old and cont- I just I like that you know you, um, it's just a, a little bit of commentary to share there. So he lived a full life. Um, we talked about it uh, during worship. He was a man that is listed in the scripture as a friend of God, and uh, so we know that Abraham had his victories. He had his defeat, just like we do. He was a human being that was used mightily by the Lord, and uh, for 175 years. Sorry, at the end of 175 years, the culmination is, says that he lived a a full life, and he he died um, at a good old age. And that we know that uh, we don't always get that opportunity. You know, there are times where we can look and and uh, and and consider uh, loved ones that we've lost at young ages, or uh, you know, you hear of somebody that dies. Uh, what we would consider early, we don't know. We don't know ever, you know, we're ever going to go. We're probably, most likely, statistically speaking, not going to make it to 175, right? So that's probably a good, like, you know, if, if I'm not a betting man at all, but if I'm going to bet, I'm probably, it's a safe one. You're going to make it to 175? Only if God wants me to, you know, and that's it. That's the only reason I'd get to 175. And I'm 43. I feel pretty good, but I don't feel like I did when I was 20. I know that you, you know, you add another 43 years on that. Lord willing, I'm at 86. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to see and hear very well. You know, this as as the time goes, we beat our bodies up. So 175 years. You know, his life was full as he walked with the Lord. And uh, you know, what I like here is we don't have a record of him dying grumpy. You know, die. But I, I like that Christian Standard Bible that he died um, old and contented. Uh, I like that uh, how it says that. So uh, verse nine says that his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him there, and uh, so he's buried. We'll get into that here in a moment. Buried with Sarah in the place that he had purchased uh, from Ephron the Hittite in uh, Genesis chapter twenty-three. So uh, just uh, two weeks ago, we we covered that. We might have actually actually um, uh, we might have actually covered that last week and then covered twenty-four. Um, I can't remember, but we, okay, within the last two weeks, we've covered it. So we'll, we'll, that'll that'll take care of that. So we haven't heard from Ishmael. Uh, since Genesis 21. And uh, remember the name of Ishmael, God hears. So when uh, Hagar had uh, fled and God had spoke to her, she had named the place 
um, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Bayer. Anyways, um, it's one of those Hebrew names and everything. But it talks about uh, the uh, that God God heard her and uh, that He was ministering to her. So he was a teen when he was sent away at Sarah's demand uh, uh, to Abraham. So God told Abraham to heed Sarah's voice, and uh, they, uh, as he did, he promised that he would make a mighty nation. Uh, both to Abraham and to Hagar. Now, uh, so Abraham uh, obeying the voice of his wife at the command of the Lord and uh, sends Hagar and uh, Ishmael away. They go, and as they're walking, they run out of water, and uh, Hagar had put him down, separated her uh, herself from him so that she wouldn't actually watch him die. You remember the story? and And... I got to a point where they're both crying out. We we have the record of her crying out to the Lord, but the Lord uh, reassures her that He has heard His voice. Remember, if you turn back to uh, to that, it's it's a pretty neat thing that the Lord has heard the lad's voice. It says, and uh, the Lord saves him. And uh, in Genesis uh, 21. The Lord makes the promise uh, in verse 13, Yet I will also make a nation out of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed, the Lord said that to Abraham. And just five verses later, to uh, Hagar, as they're there, and, and he's near death, uh, it says that uh, he, the Lord promised to Hagar, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And uh, so uh, he had said that to Abraham. He said it to Hagar. And uh, now he's a grown man and he's there with his brother to bury their father. And um, often uh, some of the only times that we're going to see family members, as we're probably pretty sure, is weddings and funerals. Right. Uh, you know, over time, uh, we grow distant. There, There's just life happens. And, you know, I, I saw something. I, I think I saw a photo. And I know I've brought this up recently, or I know I've thought it. So if I brought it up, uh, just go with me and, and uh, act like I hadn't. But um, it was a photo, and it was, uh, you know, had they known this was the last time they were all going to be together. You know, it's, it's funny because I'm seeing it happen in our lives with our kids. You know, as, as, our, uh, as my uh, nieces and nephews have grown up, with my daughters and we've seen them at, at family functions and, uh, and it was just a constant thing. We'd see each other, we'd see each other. And now you start seeing, Oh, this person can't be here because they're going to work. This person's at school. This person moved out of state and that number starts going away and you're going, when was the last time that they were all together? You know, so I'm sure when Ishmael and Isaac got together, there were some pretty interesting conversations because when they separated, Ishmael was a, a teenager and he was mocking um, is, uh, uh, Isaac. So they, they probably don't, don't have uh, too many uh, big fond memories. And it's been a long time. So now there's this reunion uh, because of uh, the, the death of their father. And now these brothers are now brought back together. Uh, it'd be interesting uh, to rewind the tape and go back and to see how that conversation uh, worked out and how that situation worked out. But uh, we do see them reunited here. 
verse 12, we move now into uh, studying uh, the family of Ishmael, and then uh, the focus starts shifting to Isaac. So uh, we'll cover Ishmael, as the scripture does, starting in verse 12. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, I, I, excuse me, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Cater, Adbeel, uh, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, uh, Tema, Jetur, uh, Nafish, and Kadema. And uh, man, some of those names. Uh, verse 16, these were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by, the, by their towns and their settlements. Twelve princes according to their nations. Now that's an interesting thing that we'll go back to. Verse 17, these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, uh, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. So Ishmael, we have a um, summary of Ishmael's life right here in these last few verses. And if we have read through and we remember, there's a special promise that God made in Genesis 17 about Ishmael. 17 verse 20 should be coming up. It's listed here that there were 12 princes. If you rewind the tape, it's going to sound familiar because Genesis 17, 20, the Lord said, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. The Lord promised that all the way back in Genesis 17. And then it's just mentioned here. If we're reading too fast or we're distracted or whatever, we can we can get to uh, this and go, oh, 12 princes according to their nation. Da, 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 da. Wait a minute. That was God's promise being fulfilled right there. God promised way back. So it tells us, you know, God is in control. He knows the future. And, uh, you know, we can trust him with our lives. Every single day of our lives, we can trust the Lord. Uh, no matter the circumstances, uh, no matter where... Uh, our hearts are, we can trust the Lord. Uh, there are times that, that we struggle with that. And uh, we sin against the Lord. We don't trust him. And we try to do things on our own strength. The Lord makes promises like this throughout the scripture constantly. Constantly. I'm always blessed when I see a beautiful sunrise. And usually uh, I'll see that on my, especially uh, recently, if I get up early enough and I can get down here early, I try to be down here super early on uh, Sunday mornings gives me time to to meditate on the scripture and uh, those things. So sometimes, you know, between, uh, you know, right around six, between six and six thirty as I'm coming in Orland and I um, start coming down, there's some uh, gravel pits in Orland and I used to live out there. Uh, we moved out there when I was 15, so I know the area very well. But as soon as I kind of crest over that hill and there's, a, you know, the gravel pits and blueberry field and you start seeing see the sunrise coming up over mountains and it's absolutely gorgeous. And that's always the reminder of God's faithfulness. 
You know, his, his mercies are new every morning. We can just look and go, the Lord is so faithful. And I, 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 every time I see that, I have to praise him. I have to pray to him and say, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. You know, if we haven't thanked him for his faithfulness, we need to. You know, as often as we remember, uh, thank him uh, for how faithful he is to us. So uh, we see in verse 17 that, he, that Ishmael lived to 137 years old, and he had a large family, and God had kept his promise to his mother Hagar, to Abraham, uh, and just know that God is in the habit of knowing all things and keeping his promises. Uh, when we are uh, at a point where we believe that God has forgotten us or that God doesn't know we're going through, uh, just open the scripture. It's not going to take very long for you to go through and find a promise that the Lord made and uh, and be able to be reminded of uh, his uh, that he is in control and that he loves us and we can trust in him. So the, the focus now shifts in verse 19 to the life of Isaac. And uh, for the next few chapters, uh, we will uh, study the, the, the life of Isaac and, and learn uh, what the Lord did in his life. And uh, so we'll pick up in verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And we know uh, that uh, he, she was also uh, her cousin and because uh, she, uh, her father was Abraham's uh, brother. So uh, 40 years old is when uh, Rebecca came and uh, the servant was sent uh, to uh, find the uh, a bride for Isaac. And that's what we studied last week in 24. And uh, when they finally show up and uh, Rebecca steps off the donkey and she meets Isaac as he's in the field, uh, he's 40 years old. And uh, when he married Rebecca and, uh, you know, God provided a bride for him at that age. And uh, he's the promised son, and he was born to Abraham when he was 100 years old. So Abraham lived as Isaac's father for 75 years. So he was he was a father uh, to this man, uh, 75 years, a long, long, you know, good amount of time for him to have with his son. Verse 21, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And I know there's a rest of that verse, but we're going to stop there and look at this. So Isaac sought the Lord on behalf of his wife. Now for anybody that's in here as a husband uh, the, and, and anybody as a believer, we can learn uh, to pray for anybody. This doesn't have to be that, but specifically for a husband uh, too, this should uh, be striking a chord for us. Now, uh, he goes to the Lord on behalf of his wife, and husbands should be praying for our wives. And uh, this was uh, something very heavy on her heart, uh, especially in that culture. You know, you're not bearing children. There's something wrong. You're cursed. You're sinful. What are you hiding? You know, some of them would just be mocked in, in public or, or tortured within their home if they had multiple wives. We've seen that, right? Uh, so uh, you know, no children uh, it was a bad thing. And uh, it's an encouragement to a husband to know your wife and to know their struggles and to pray for them as they go through them, 
as we would want them to pray for us in our struggles. And I, you can, if you're not married, you can replace this with anybody you love in your life. But a husband should be gaining a lesson here to pray with them through their struggles. We know that she would have been praying, and we know that he was. You know, uh, they were married when he was 40, and we know that later on, as we read, uh, she gives birth when he's 60. So for 20 years, she's barren. She, she didn't have children for 20. That's a long time to be dealing with something. You know, when we've dealt with something in our life, 20 years is, is a long time to carry something that's heavy, isn't it? 20 years? That's a long time. And, uh, you know, that it, it, we need to, and of course we all hope that whatever we're facing is a short, uh, something short, but we need to understand that the Lord might have us uh, something with us for the rest of our lives that we pray about, whether it's a, a physical condition, uh, any other thing that we are, are that we struggle with, whatever it is, uh, that that we just continue to pray. There's the 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 persistence in prayer uh, that needs to happen. So uh, she, in in this spot, uh, needed to know. I'm sure that her husband uh, loved her and uh, that he's with her, and and that's how any husband. Uh, should reassure their wife, not just in word, but pray with them. Grab their hand and pray with them. You know, through thick and thin, Genesis 24, verse 67, then Isaac brought her into his mother's uh, mother's tent. So this is a rewind. And he took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 28. So we, we see where uh, he was 40 and she became his wife and uh, that, that he loved her, it says. So as we're reading there, if, if it, oh, it is up there, right? 67, um, Genesis 24, 67. She became his wife and he loved her. Because he loved her, he's praying for her. And, uh, you know, she's not alone in her struggle. And, uh, and he is interceding. Uh, for her in prayer. Ephesians 5 verses 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any or, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. If there's uh, any encouragement for uh, a husband, our main thing to do, obviously, is our relationship with the Lord. Our main thing is to love our wives. If my children see me loving my wife, they're going to see a godly example, and then they're going to know that I have three daughters. I want them to see in me what they would want in a husband and what they expect in a husband. I'm not perfect. My kids know that. My wife knows that. But I want them to, to, to never, ever, you know, yes, I'm going to learn, and I'll just tell them, you know what, yes, uh, you know, whatever it was, and I'll tell them, 
yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I, I blew up over that or whatever. And you know what? I, I'm tired and I'm irritated today. I shouldn't have snapped in that way or whatever, or, you know, those things. And I'll, and I'll confess that to them and, and say that. But what I want my kids to see and to know is that I love my wife. I pray for her. Uh, I'm the spiritual leader of my home. When my, my kids see that, it moves on to the next generation, doesn't it? So then, there now when when their hearts uh, there's a if you haven't uh, ever listened to um, what uh, Ken Graves presents and he actually does it uh, in the series of Master Mission Mate uh, that that we uh, and especially it's, it's geared toward uh, the the younger or the 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 single uh, that our focus should one be on our relationship with our master. And whatever he has for us. So as we uh, focus on our relationship with him and his, his what he what he's building us up for, uh, that we would focus on that and the mission that he has for us in our lives. So uh, I have a, a correct relationship with my master. He's given me this mission in my life, and then a mate that would come alongside and work with us as we go through those things. So if you haven't ever uh, heard that, uh, that's the summary of it. Uh, obviously, he goes into great detail. Uh, there's a book that he wrote, and he recently updated that. Um, that's something to always encourage anybody who uh, is, is young or, or, or single and uh, considering um, uh, getting married is a proper relationship with the Lord. Know where he's leading you in your life, and then uh, you know how, uh, how he reveals uh, the next step in that with the mate. Pray to him about it and see what he says. So the keys uh, to a successful marriage is a husband and wife both being submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As uh, they come together and they're both submitted to the Lordship of Christ, uh, it's going to be easy uh, for the wife to follow the husband and submit to their husband's leadership because the husband is properly following the Lord. That's a It's a great uh, a recipe that the Lord uh, built up and gave to us in the scripture. This man loved his wife and he trusted the Lord and he goes to the Lord on behalf of his wife because he's a man that loves his wife. 21 continued. So I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and it continues. And the Lord granted his plea. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So we see as he prayed for her, no doubt blessed her, and he's able to come and encourage her. But she gets to a point that we see the documented uh, account where she inquires of the Lord. And when she, as she inquires, the Lord answers her, her, her prayer and, and reveals to her what's happening within her. She's nervous. I remember uh, when my wife was pregnant, um, uh, the end stages of the pregnancy and and she would say look look and i'm looking at her belly and i'm watching it just more and it's moving around and i'm like it's kind of like creepy looking for a minute and you go 
wait a minute, that's kind of weird, but it's the coolest thing in the world. But it can, like, make you jump for a minute because you see somebody, we don't, we're not used to seeing somebody's stomach move like that. And then when you, when you, like, look behind the layer of that, that's a child in there. And sometimes, you, you know, when you get that first bump, you know, boom, you go, oh, whoa, hey, that was cool. And then you start seeing, like, the roll. You know, and you see, you know, this whole thing, and and it's it's a it's a fantastic thing. It's it's miraculous what's happening there. If anybody tells us that this is only a mere biological thing, no, this is a it is biological, yes, but it is miraculous that a baby it has all the tubes hooked up that they've getting the, the blood that they need. They're getting the water, the nutrients they need. None of that's by accident. That's stupidity. To say that's foolishness to say that, but when when those you know when you see those things, this woman is experiencing that. But what she doesn't realize is she has two of them in there, and there's a wrestling match going on, and that wrestling match is prophetic, and it's speaking of uh, of something this struggling that's going on within her, and we'll talk about that um, here as we go on, and it. As she's seeing these things, she's, she's concerned, and uh, the Lord informs, uh, just tells her, informs her that this is this is a prophecy that's that's literally happening within her belly, that the beginning of a prophecy is happening inside her belly as those uh, two boys are moving around. So she has twins. Um, you know, when you think of it, this isn't your normal uh, ultrasound report, right? Have you seen today's ultrasounds? Uh, some of them are 4D, and you can see the, like the shape. Uh, the, the 3D ones are like you can see the skeleton and the baby's just kind of there and everything. The 4D makes them look, you know, you see the baby's face and you start seeing some features. Really, really neat. This type of, you know, um, a report of what's happening is going on here is much different than, uh, you know, what, what we might uh, see. This is uh, her hearing uh, of a prophecy that's happening, and, uh, and it's telling of two nations, and there's going to be strife between these two. There's going to be uh, uh, there's going to be trouble, and it says that uh, one is going to be stronger than the other, but that the older will serve the younger, and uh, that's not how it worked uh, in that culture. That the oldest would be the main heir, and then uh, you know this in successive order uh, from that. So uh, when she hears that, that's quite quite a bit of news for her. To, she's no doubt very blessed. But that's something that she stores in her mind, and as the boys are born and as they grow, she's got that in the back of her mind, and she's uh, she's aware of this, and that's important for us to remember as we as we're moving through this. So twenty four. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called him na his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them, so there's the 20 years uh, from the time they married till then. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, uh, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So there's a lot in those verses uh, for us for us to you know go over again, and we will here. So it says that the days of her uh, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. Indeed, there were twins. First one came out red, 
and hairy. So he's hairy like a garment all over. And so they call him Harry. <laughs> it's the first person we know of that's named Harry uh, in the scripture. And uh, doesn't sound like he's a much of a good-looking kid, um, you know, where it's described later uh, when we see a, uh, uh, a deceptive plot um, uh, being uh, put together uh, and carried out by Rebecca and Isaac. We see that they take goat's hair and put it on the back of Isaac and on his arms uh, to trick his father, who doesn't see well anymore. And uh, so uh, he's a hairy guy, and not just a little bit of hair. This this dude is covered in hair. His name is Harry, and uh, so there, that's uh, quite a uh, quite an interesting thing uh, as we move forward. So after Esau, his brother came out. And uh, notice, noticeably grabbed Esau's heel, uh, heel, so they call him a supplanter. I would make an argument uh, as a, uh, once you're a wrestler, you're always a wrestler. So I would say that Jacob uh, was the inventor of a heel hook, and uh, which is a very effective uh, uh, wrestling move. And often you'll grab somebody's head or you'll snap their head down and whew, and you, you snap down really, you, you change bo- uh, levels in your body and you shoot forward and you grab that heel, whew, you pull them right out, you know, just like just like when somebody slips on the ice. It's called a heel hook. So uh, a little bit of a wrestling joke in there. But uh, uh, so uh, Jacob's a good wrestler, and I'll, I'll stick to that just because it's, a, you know, his name is Supplanter. His name is one, he'd be a heel, heel catcher. And uh, so, uh, you know, one's Harry, one's a heel catcher, um, a uh, Supplanter, one that would make somebody else fall. So the boys grew. One is a skillful hunter. And the other is uh, Jacob is mild. And uh, so uh, we see that one spent his time in the field. When I start thinking of these guys, I think in modern day terms, Esau is the guy that's going to, he loves like industrial arts class. You know, he likes doing stuff. He's, he's on the archery team. He likes to do the outside stuff. He's shopping at the, you know, at the, uh, the outdoor stores. You know, if you move this into modern day, and uh, you know he's got the souped-up chariot, 33-inch tires on it. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, the guy's riding around with all these things, and you know, uh, it's it, everything's camo-colored. You know, uh, it's got several horsepower. You know, this guy's all about you know all these things. And then you look at his brother, and uh, his brother is the complete opposite. He's mild. Uh, I imagine if there was a high school there. Uh, then uh, he's enrolling in home ec class. You know, he's uh, worried about uh, sewing and, and cooking and, uh, you know, may, or, you know, he, he gets into the, the local Votech school and he goes through the culinary arts uh, thing. So two very different people. You know, if he had a car, he's driving, a, 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 I guess, a, um, you know, the sleeker hybrid uh, the one horse power, you know, he's, he's, uh, more economical and everything. So these two are just uh, all joking aside. These two are very different people. One is, uh, he's out in the field. He's out, uh, uh, hunting and, uh, he was so good at it that it sees that it seems that, uh, uh, and it's very clear in 28 that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Isaac, uh, sorry, um, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game and Rebecca loved Jacob. So we see a little game of favorites happening there. And uh, we'll, we'll see that this game of favorites isn't just a, like a, it's not just a mention. The scriptures are written for a reason. And this develops 
into some uh, serious things that that go on in their lives, negative things that uh, that uh, really almost get um, uh, Jacob uh, killed. So uh, when we are looking here, you know, as Isaac loves, you know, Esau, it's because he loves that he's providing steak to him, uh, that he's always got something good. Uh, to provide and uh, Rebecca uh, sounds like he he you know as he's dwelling in tents he's spending a lot of time with his mom so they're probably very much alike and uh, so they both grow closer to one son and there's clear favoritism shown is is what's being described here so this favorites game uh, like I said it gets out of out of hand and Esau tries to kill Jacob because Jacob went along with his mother's plan to deceive his father so that he would receive the older son's blessings on him over the, what he would have got as the lesser blessing. Uh, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time into that, but we see where this favorites goes and how dangerous it is. And, um, you know, there's uh, there's uh, quite a bit uh, that, that happens later on as uh, Esau uh, becomes known as Edom, and uh, we'll discuss that here. And uh, there's uh, quite a bit that happens between Israel and Edom. Uh, you may remember in Numbers 20, Moses asked the king of the Edomites if they might pass through in safety through their land. Uh, and he calls him, and he, when he actually says, he says, thus uh, says your brother Israel. You know, hey, remember our, you know, where we came from, uh, you know, or uh, they were brothers. Can we? Just pass through, and the, uh, Egypt is is uh, sorry. Uh, uh, Israel is leaving Egypt, and they need a safe place to pass through. And they're saying, "Hey, we don't mean you any harm. If we do anything wrong, uh, there's there's this little dialogue. Like, no, you can't. They're like, no, really, we're not going to do anything wrong. If we damage anything, we'll pay for it. Take care of anything. No, no, you can't. And uh, they actually take up arms, and they say, "You're not going to." So they had to walk all the way around. So those it's going to be a very interesting study when we get in there. Uh, but they're, they're, these two uh, are in contention all their lives. There's a little bit of a blessing when we get a little bit further. And uh, Jacob gets himself into another predicament uh, when he's with, uh, with um, his wife's family. And we get a, a glimpse into Laban, who we talked about here recently also. And, and Laban uh, messing around with Jacob's life and uh, doing things in his life. Jacob ends up leaving, and then there's another meeting between he and Esau, and it's 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 a really neat one to see what the Lord does in that. There uh, there are a lot of lessons to learn in that. So moving forward, uh, verse 29 says, "Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me uh, with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom." Edom means red. And uh, uh, But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? <laughs> I love that. Uh, and uh, then Jacob uh, said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And uh, Jacob saw Esau, uh, gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So a rewind to 27. Jacob had cooked some stew and Esau came back. He's weary. He's tired and uh, he asks for some stew. 
And uh, what we see is from this, he earns a nickname Red. And uh, no doubt, uh, you know, there was kind of a dig for him uh, throughout his, his life when he's reminded that he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the Edomites as we move forward. But uh, you know, Jacob sees this as a massive business deal uh, coming his way. Oh, here's my chance. You're weary, huh? This smells good. You want some? Uh, you want some porridge? You know, you want you want some stew, and uh, and it's very much a one-sided trade. And uh, Jacob wants everything that he can get from Esau and everything that was coming to him in exchange for a bowl of soup. You know, and what what were those things that were going to come to him? Uh, one would be uh, the right as head of the family, uh, that he he was uh, as the youngest son. Uh, he's next in line to be head of the family. And the, uh, the, the second thing is that there would be a double share of the inheritance. So with two sons, the estate would be broken down into three parts. Uh, two of the, two uh, parts would belong to the older son. The younger son would get uh, one part. So 33% for the younger son, 66% for the older son. So you see what's happening here, uh, that uh, what, what he's dealing for, what he's trying to get. Now, Deuteronomy 21, uh, verses 15 through 17, I, I, I didn't cut and paste that up here, and you don't have that on there, but if you end up turning there or reading it, Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 through 17, a summary of it is that uh, the Lord prohibited a father from playing favorites uh, and choosing to give the birthright to another son. The, the oldest son is supposed to have the birthright. Now, if they love the son of one of their wives more, you know, they love the wife, uh, this wife more, and their son isn't, that, that there wasn't supposed to be a shuffling of those. No, who is the firstborn? And that the scripture forbids that the firstborn's rights would be moved to anybody else. So we see here that Esau made a very bad decision. You know, uh, you know, we're supposed to think uh, about what we're doing. We're supposed to make calculated decisions, not work uh, and, and live our lives making rash decisions and doing things. Um, uh, we're to, we're called in the scripture to seek godly counsel. You know, and you know, what are our motives? Reflect on our motives when there's something this important. You know, if somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, I'll sell you this house right now," whoa, wait a minute. You know, if you've got the money in the bank. Wait a minute. Call in somebody to look at the house. You know, go through the proper channels. Don't just jump on it because it seems like a good deal. What's the saying? If it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. You know, if it seems like it is, then it probably is. Just we're slow down. If if if, but we see the, the makeup of this man is he's totally led by his flesh. That Esau is. There's a prophecy already starting to be fulfilled, as the Lord had said, the older will serve the younger. Verse 32, Esau confirms that he's completely dominated by his flesh. Completely dominated and states that he's about to die. Now, if this doesn't sound like whining, I don't know what does. You know, I'm starving to death. You just walked all the way back, man. You're going to be okay. You know, you're stronger than your brother. Why don't you push him out of the way and you know, get yourself a bowl, right? But prophecy is being fulfilled here. 
the Lord knew it was going to happen. And so in a demonstration, uh, but we see in his mind, you know, he's convinced himself he's too weary. He finally gets back. I mean, if he's that close to death, he's not sitting up having a conversation with his brother. Well, in a demonstration of, of lack of self-control, he says, so what is this birthright to me? I'm going to die. What good is it if I have a birthright if I die right now? I'm starving to death. But in this is a lesson for us. This is how our flesh works. Our flesh convinces us you absolutely have to have this. This is of the utmost importance. It's more important than anything else. Our flesh demands to be fed. Our flesh I, I remember Will over the years as a cruel master. If we follow our flesh, look what it makes us do. Look where it leads us. Right into sin. And, you know, it, 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 we come to a point, I'll do whatever I can to make sure I get what I want. I need to have this. Now, for anybody that has struggled with addiction in our lives, this is probably sounding very familiar. But I tell you right now, every one of us, Every one of us before Christ was completely addicted to sin. May not have been as the crazy ones that you might see, but there was sin in our lives that we were addicted to and that we could not get away from because we were living in sin uh, because we don't have anything that's, that's uh, you know, we can be nice people opening the doors, but we don't have Christ in our lives. And, and we're just, we're walking in sin. Our lives have been riddled with sin. Even the little thing that somebody might look at and go, oh, well, this is it's just a little stealing. You know, at this point, yes, you stole because you're selfish and you sinned. You know, you know, just some of those little things that, that people will look at. And I say little, they're sin. Sin is sin. But I say in the eyes of, of our, our world and, and in our culture, they might be a little thing. But we are very much addicted to ourself. And what we see here is a man that that uh, trades everything. You know, he just he he he's totally uh, in uh, submission to his his flesh. And Esau doesn't even think about it. Dives right headlong in. Whatever you want, just give me a bowl of of soup. And and he's foolish. Reminds me of my dog. My dog is completely completely. I mean, uh, when he's outside and doesn't want to listen when we call him in, all I have to do is say treat. When I say treat, a hundred miles an hour right to the door, and he'll say he'll do anything for a treat. You know, he's he's a dog. He, he's you know he's completely controlled by. We can learn a lot from watching a dog. We really can. Obedience. We can learn those things and and how our flesh can control us. So this man, uh, he he, uh, as we see here, uh, he is uh, all about the flesh. Uh, he ends up marrying uh, later on. We'll see in Genesis twenty six, next chapter. Then he marries two Hittite women that the parents don't really care for. You know, he just he just kind of does things. He's an earthly-minded man. He's temporal. Uh, you know, forsaking a blessing or gift for immediate gratification. So there's there's strong spiritual lessons all the way through as we're reading these verses. You know, if if you want to think of uh, another biblical example of somebody that would give something precious and demand something and then give it away. Look at the prodigal son. He's the younger son. And he knows, hey, you know what? Between me and my my uh, older son, I'm only going to get 33%. Dad, just give me it all. I, I want it all right now. And what does he do? Prodigal living goes out and wastes it all. He, he's got he's the same, same mindset of Esau. And he goes and loses everything. 
and uh, he uh, is following his flesh and finds himself hungry, and he's looking at pig slop going, that looks good. He's like, wow, you know, how far I've fallen. i got to go back. You know, the, the, the mindset that, that uh, you know, our flesh will so control us that uh, willing to lose everything, you know, and the, the prodigal son for one, you know, uh, hoorah, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to have fun while I've got the money. Only live once. I'm going to go live about this. This guy's saying, hey, if I just have a bowl of stew, stew whatever, I'm going to die. Give me this. Now, interestingly, uh, when you look into the New Testament and it describes Esau, Hebrews calls Esau a profane, uh, a profane man, and uh, so that's the New King James. The uh, uh, the ESV calls him unholy instead of profane, uh, and uh, the NIV calls him a godless man. So, as we're as you're considering who this man is, he's described in those three versions. He's he's profane, unholy, godless. Hebrews 12, verses 16 and 17 says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane uh, or godless or unholy uh, person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Romans 9, verses 10 uh, through 13 say, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might uh, stand, not of works, but of him who calls, uh, it was said of her, The younger shall serve the older. As it was written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Uh, those two words uh, can also be looked at as accepted and rejected. Genesis 33, Esau displays a lot of love and grace. So uh, when, uh, you know what, we're going to skip over that. But um, we see that there are times where Esau uh, does extend a great amount of love. And he shows a great deal of maturity in his life. When he's when he and his brother do meet up, and, and I already uh, we're gonna move into that in in, in uh, thirty three. Jacob's worrying about his whole whole family being wiped out, and uh, Esau, someone who's known as profane and unholy and everything, does something right, and he greets his brother, and and tell hey don't worry about it, you know, and 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 so uh, ultimately though what we see in Esau is a picture of a man uh, that despises the eternal and lives for the here and now. Uh, let that be a lesson for us and uh, that we would not be like Esau. When our flesh is raging and demanding, why is it? Because it wants us back under its power. The Christian should not be dominated uh, by our, in our flesh like Esau was. For a Christian, somebody who has uh, accepted Christ, uh, they uh, things should be different. You know, we've let Christ, uh, we have to let him change our hearts, change our minds, change our lives. And let the Holy Spirit reign. You know, what, what do we sing? Lord, reign in me. We, we sang that today, uh, that he would reign in our hearts. And as the Lord does, he begins uh, to set us apart for him. Our minds, our, our priorities change. Our desires change. Uh, when we are fully submitted to God and we, we go to him and say, Lord, I want you to change me. I want to be new in you. 
he, he answers that prayer. And he's faithful to that prayer. And he wants to change it. He wants to deliver us from whatever it is. And he wants to set us free. And as he sets us free, then he starts changing who we are, the, 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 uh, the contents of our being and, and what comes, uh, what, we're, what we're going to be content with coming into our life changes. We're now appalled by it. And you know what? That used to be okay to me. That's not okay to me anymore. That's not, as, that's not fulfilling anymore. I don't want that anymore. I want to be in the scripture. I know what that has for me. And it was leading me to bondage and death. What the Lord has for me is life. The Lord reprograms. If you want to look at it in one way, he reprograms us. That's an easy way for us in a technological world uh, to understand, hey, this is broken and needs to be reprogrammed. God just rips everything out and, and puts in a whole new uh, you know, operating system that we're running on him. So then we're focused on heavenly things. A few verses for you. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Says bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That we would, instead of being like Esau, who is completely uh, enslaved to and led by his flesh, that as Christians we are taking every thought into captivity and going, wait a minute, that that, that we would be sober. Well, the Scripture tells us to be sober-minded, right? That we're aware. You know, don't do not be uh, deceived because uh, all these things can happen that we are, are living sober minded, that we are uh, operating uh, in uh, with a, a mindset that we have to be on, on alert. We have to be aware uh, we have an enemy and there are fiery darts headed in our direction as Christians that wants to wipe us out. What was the, Sunday morning? We just prayed that, you know, we know that there's going to be, uh, you know, I, I was just uh, talking about, you know, the, that, the, that the Lord has for us and what he wants for us is uninterrupted un, uh, uh, worship and everything. What happens? The sound goes crazy. We lose guitars and everything and, and it goes, and it's a distraction to everybody. Wasn't, you know, that's just one of those things that pops up that we go, oh, you, it might have been the sound. It might have just totally been electrical. That does not mean that we don't have an enemy that wants to disrupt our worship, wants to disrupt our lives, draw us out of worship, draw us back uh, into slavery. As Christians, we need to look at verses like this and cling to them and understand what God is doing in us. Galatians 5.24 says, And those that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we're looking at a life like Esau's, where he's totally, uh, totally enslaved to his flesh, and he totally just whatever, you know what I mean? He gives up everything just for a bowl of soup. We understand how earthly and uh, and, and um, simple-minded he was. Galatians five verses sixteen and seventeen, uh, Paul says, "I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh, and these are contrary to one another, uh, contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things which you wish. The spirit and the flesh, constant contention. We just need to submit our will to Christ every single day. Lord, have your way in me. That's a, a great prayer. Just Lord. I give this day back to you. Continue to build me, strengthen me, you know, make me, mold me into your image. You ever, um, I know I've shared this, uh, the, the song of, um, uh, by Bebo Norman, uh, and I, I can't remember the, the name of the title, but it's a, he's speaking of 
being a shapeless piece of steel. And that as this piece of steel has to get thrown into the fire and the raging fire and then the pounding of the hammer and everything, it's never it, that's never an easy thing to go through. But the Lord, what he says at the end is that the Lord, he, he knows that the Lord has done an amazing thing in his life. And now he's this piece of, uh, of art or this piece that, that was made perfectly by a designer that, that he had to go through the fire. He had to have those things burnt off of him. You know, when we think of the chaff that we want blown away in our lives, that the Lord would continue to purify us and, and mold us and shape us into his image. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth. I, 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 Abraham, Isaac, my name is um, Esau. Esau was a man, as I said, that, that was he was just a fleshly man. He was a fleshly man. Christians are not called to be flat. We're supposed to live in a different newness of life in Christ. We also see, and I'm wrapping up right here, his brother was a deceiver. <laughs> so Jacob's the heel snatcher. He's the supplanter, and we'll get into more of Jacob's life, uh, Jacob's life later on. Uh, but, you know, uh, Jacob's more than willing to be one to manipulate things so that he can benefit from them. So you got one that's completely led, uh, you know, uh, by his uh, sinful desires. Uh, Jacob is a sinful man also. And what we'll see between the two uh, is an interesting study in how the Lord works in their lives. That uh, Jacob uh, eventually uh, comes to a point where the Lord tells him, you're no longer the supplanter. You're no longer the heel catcher. You are now Israel governed by God. And, it, and the Lord uh, reestablishes him. So uh, the, something to take away, uh, the, the spiritual consequence to sin is always greater uh, than the pleasure of fulfilling the flesh. The spiritual consequence of the sin is always greater uh, than the pleasure of fulfilling the flesh. That pleasure seems good at first, but there's a raging fire that's going to come from that that wants to consume our lives. Just realize there's there's no no uh, room for us to live in compromise. Are we going to to, to sin? Are we going to make decisions that are stupid in our lives? Yes, we should not walk in those ways. It shouldn't be a habit in our life that we're continuously doing. If we are, come talk to me because something's off. You know, we ask the Lord to be the Lord of our lives, the master of our lives. If he's not our master, is he our Lord? Is he our Savior? Last verse for you. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let that be an encouragement to us. The life of Esau uh, and what we see in the example of Esau should not be said of the Christian, that we would set our minds of the things of the Spirit and that they would lead to eternal life, that the Spirit would be who we follow and not the flesh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that uh, you have these things uh, written here for us to learn more about who we are as sinners, 
and we're learning from other people and in their life. You are so faithful to, to build us, to correct us, to show us that there are right and wrong ways to live, Lord. You know, there are uh, you know, ways that we may think are, are great, and in the end, they're not great. The end is death. Lord, we don't want to go the way where everyone does what's right in our own eyes, as we saw in the book of Judges. We want to do what's right in your eyes. We want to be your children that are spirit-filled, not led and ruled by our flesh. But God, that we would submit our will to yours and that your spirit would have your way in us. Help us to walk strong with you. We want to be called your friend as Abraham was. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys.